Well, let me read to you from the epistle of James. This is the second chapter, verses 1 through 17. Listen now for God's word to you. My brothers and sisters, when you show favoritism, you deny the faithfulness of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has been resurrected in glory. Imagine two people coming into your meeting. One has a gold ring and fine clothes, while the other is poor, dressed in filthy rags. Now suppose that you were to take special notice of the one wearing fine clothes, saying, here's an excellent place, sit here. But to the poor person you say, stand over there, or sit, sit here at my feet. Wouldn't you have shown favoritism among yourselves and become evil-minded judges? My dear brothers and sisters, listen. Hasn't God chosen those who are poor by worldly standards to be rich in terms of faith? Hasn't God chosen the poor as heirs of the kingdom he has promised to those who love him? But you've dishonored the poor. Don't the wealthy make life difficult for you? Aren't they the ones who drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who insult the good names spoken over you at your baptism? You do well when you really fulfill the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself. But when you show favoritism, you're committing a sin, and by that same law, you are exposed as a lawbreaker. Anyone who tries to keep all of the law but fails at one point is guilty of failing at all of it. The one who said, don't commit adultery, also said, don't murder. So if you don't commit adultery but do commit murder, you are a lawbreaker. In every way then, speak and act as people who will be judged by the law of freedom. There will be no mercy in judgment for anyone who hasn't shown mercy. Mercy overrules judgment. My brothers and sisters, what good is it if people say they have faith but do nothing to show it? Claiming to have faith can't save someone, can it? Imagine a brother or sister who is naked and never has enough food to eat. What if one of you said, go in peace, stay warm, have a nice meal? What good is it if you don't actually give them what their body needs? In the same way, faith is dead when it does not result in faithful activity. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? We ask once more, holy God, speak into our lives this day. We know your word does not return without accomplishing your means. So send your Holy Spirit upon us to illuminate your word as we worship. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, your word made flesh. Amen. So my parents have been in town visiting for the last several days, which has been a blast. It forces uh, my wife and me to actually do more than to go home after work, check to see if one of us has an evening meeting, and if not, then sit in front of the TV or the iPad and turn something on Netflix. We've played games together. We've gone to the zoo together. A couple of us even went to the Blueberry Festival down in Plymouth together. 
We've also had, um, and maybe some of you resonate with this, we've had the long political conversations you can only have with family um, and still love each other afterwards. It's been a joy. It also means that our daughter also has someone who's willing to read with her at all times. And this is her most recent favorite book. Maybe some of you are familiar with this literary classic, The Sneetches, by Dr. Seuss. In this story, these fictional animals called Sneetches, uh, they evaluate each other based on whether they have a star on their belly or not. Some of you may remember uh, this plot, and, and it gets to the point, it gets so contentious, in fact, that several Sneetches go through this star-on machine to alter their bodies so they, too, will have stars, so they can be part of the in-group. And then things change, they get stars off, it's chaotic, it's a mess. One thing I love about Dr. Seuss is his ability to expose the human condition in humorous, non-threatening ways. I like to think I'm superior to these Sneetches. I would never show favoritism to someone with or without a star on their belly. Whatever tattoo you have, I'm sure God still loves you, right? And yet, I find myself, when I sit and pay attention to the way my mind works, making similar judgments all the time. Just the other day, uh, we were picking up some furniture from a Craigslist ad, and on our way to meet the seller, we passed several huge houses on massive lots. Immediately, I, I found the following thoughts just flitting through my mind. These folks are probably wealthy. That means they probably have nice furniture. That means, hey, we probably got a good deal. We should make sure to thank them. I didn't even realize that these thoughts were going through my mind until suddenly I had arrived at the end of that string of thought. Maybe you've experienced that sort of thing too. It all flashed through my brain in response to appearance. And maybe when you've experienced this, it's been when you've been seeing someone buying food with SNAP benefits, sometimes called food stamps, and you immediately think you know something about their situation. Or maybe you see the way a person dresses or speaks, the words they use, and then that affects how you treat them. Or maybe, those of you who were here last week may remember this car tire, right? In, in keeping with our car theme, maybe you see how a person drives or what they drive. And that communicates something about the person to you. We make judgments about a person's character or lack thereof all the time. And sometimes we do it in the same way our friends the Sneetches do, right? Based on appearance, acting with favoritism. So then how should we act? If we're serious about having true religion, what James is challenging us to have, if we're serious about living out our faith in concrete ways, what does James tell us to do when we find ourselves in these situations? At first blush, in our reading today, it seems quite clear. Treat all people equally, the rich and the poor, the person of color and the white person, the person with a disability and the person without a disability, the gay and the straight, the veteran and the civilian, 
Those of you who were here last week may remember that when we were talking about the orphan and the widow, we talked about those four types of orphans and widows in our current contemporary society. That's the person of color, the person with a disability, the LGBTQ plus folk, or the veteran, right? These four people are our sort of contemporary orphans and widows. And in our first pass through this passage, it seems obviously to be what James is encouraging is to treat all such people, regardless of what they look like, regardless of what they act like, equally. Not showing favoritism means offering equal treatment to all. But this, I don't think this is quite right. Not showing favoritism, not being partial, I think this involves more than just equal treatment. Last week, we singled out the orphan and the widow in a particular way, with James asserting in the last verse of chapter 1, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to care for orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Now remember that when James wrote this, James didn't put in chapter or verse numbers. Those were introduced about a millennium later, which means that there was no separation between that sentence and the first sentence we read today in chapter 2, where James says, My brothers and sisters, when you show favoritism, you deny the faithfulness of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's been resurrected in glory. So on the one hand, care for specifically the orphan and widow in their distress. And on the other hand, when you show favoritism, you deny the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. So either James is talking out of both sides of his mouth here, or he has something different in mind than simply equal treatment for all people when he cautions us against favoritism. Now, I don't believe that James is talking out of both sides of his mouth. I imagine that many of you would reach the same conclusion. James isn't being deceitful in scripture, and therefore, he must not believe he's showing favoritism when he encourages us to offer special care to the orphans and the widows in their distress. Which means that James is not suggesting when he says, do not show favoritism, that we treat everybody equally. So what then? How else can we interpret what James is telling us in this passage? Well, I want to introduce an idea to you all that some of you may have some strong opinions about already. So I'm going to ask you to bear with me, be patient with me. If you have strong opinions on either side of this, I want you to take note of how I'm defining my terms. And then, if you think I'm full of it, you can come talk to me afterwards. I'd be happy to talk with you. I'd love to. I want to introduce this idea of equity. I had a conversation earlier this week with a member who wanted to share some concerns about this word and, and some stuff that, that this member understands to be tied to this word that was referred to as critical race theory. One of the articles this member shared with me suggests that equity is a euphemism for critical race theory and that equity is little more than reformulated Marxism. For the author of the article that this member shared with me, equity is a four-letter word that is to be opposed. And maybe you agree with this author. Maybe you very much do not agree with this author. Regardless, I ask again to be patient with me as I try to define my terms. By equity, I'm trying to capture the reality that equal treatment of every person isn't actually what we're aiming to do as Christians. We have a food pantry, for example, that is open here on Mondays and on, on Thursdays during the week. We don't send food to every member of the church. 
We don't make sure that our canned goods that we have in our closet just down the hallway, we don't make sure that we send an equal amount to every single resident here in South Bend or in St. Joseph County. That would be equal treatment of everyone. But that's not what we do. Instead, we look to where the needs are and we focus our resources there. It's not equal, but it tries to make needs that stand in the way of equal opportunities for all. Are we tracking so far a little bit? I'm seeing some nods, okay. So, so by equity, I'm not referring to equal outcomes for everybody, regardless of effort, talent, need, you know, any of these things. By equity, I'm, I'm referring rather to the reality that we experience on a regular basis, that not everyone needs the same things. Each person's experience on earth is different in some ways than every other person's experience on earth. So we don't have a one-size-fits-all really anything. We're called to love our neighbors as ourselves, and what that love looks like is going to be different depending on what your neighbor's needs are, what your neighbor's cares are. Equity matters because while we don't all have the same specific needs, we all have unique ways of experiencing love, unique needs from the community of faith. We all have needs. They may not be exactly the same, but we all have them. So I want to go back to the idea of cars for a second, because I think that this is where, pardon the terrible pun, this is where the rubber meets the road. Um, some of us might have cars that require diesel fuel. Others have cars that require electricity. Still others have cars that require a specific octane level of fuel. You need the high octane stuff. And if we don't fuel the cars appropriately, we're going to get crummy results. It's the same thing if you bring your car into a mechanic. If there's a mechanic in South Bend who every car that the mechanic brings in, the mechanic's like, all right, I'm going to change the oil. It's going to be fine. That's not a car mechanic that would stay in business very long, I don't think. The mechanic, yes, needs to treat each car with the same level of care, but can't have the same exact fix for every car. That's what I'm talking about when I use the word equity. So as you leave, excuse me, as you live your faith out, you will leave tracks behind. That's why we've brought this up and put it in front of the communion table, this beautiful picture that our, our kids helped make last week, um, because they showed the tracks that we leave when we drive around and, and, and put paint on the, on the wheels of cars. Just as much as it matters that we take our faith out of the garage and make the rubber meet the road, instead of just tweaking the engine and buffing the paint job, it also matters where our faith takes us. It matters not only what quality of tracks we leave, it matters where those tracks take us. With whom are we living out our faith? If our faith always brings us to places where people act, talk, dress, look, and think very similarly to how we act, talk, dress, look, and think, then our faith may be based, at least in part, in favoritism. And this is hard. I want to name that. It's hard for me. I'm sure it's hard for you. Uh, the, the antidote to this is to start listening, to start listening to all people that God puts in our path, because we may not be as similar as we think we are. We may be sitting next to someone who we never knew had a certain need, but if we listen to them, then we can learn. Then we can love them as God loves them. Equality is a good thing. But if equality were the end of the story, then we would all be equally guilty under the law. 
Equity is what we're called to practice as Christians since equity is what God practices with us, right? God gives each of us mercy in our time of need, the kind of mercy that we need, the kind of mercy that is tweaked specifically for our particular brokenness, our particular sin that we struggle with. God takes that and meets us where we are. I want you to think back once more to our friends, the Sneetches. If we knew that the star-bellied Sneetches were well-fed, were well-cared for, and that the Sneetches without stars on their bellies needed food, needed clothes, the call of the church would be to find ways of feeding the hungry Sneetches. Instead, if we just treated all Sneetches as if they were all the same, we would actually perpetuate the inequality that the Sneetches society had been enforcing, really, had created. Equitable treatment intentionally takes the lowly, those who are in need, and raises them up, finding the orphans and the widows in our midst, whatever they may look like, and meeting their specific needs. Now, there are areas, friends, in our lives where equity and equality do overlap. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper, when we come to the table, we all come as broken people in need of God's grace. God's grace in Jesus Christ is both equally and equitably distributed, meeting all of us to erase all of our sins and doing it in a specific way for each of us. God's mercy for us overrules judgment. So I want us to take our cue from our Lord. As we think about the tire tracks our faith leaves in the world, when the rubber of our faith meets the road, I want to challenge us to aim to leave evidence of mercy in places that are broken, in places that need God's mercy. Let's aim not to do this generally, but to offer mercy as a, to people as a result of listening to their need, to offer targeted mercy, finding a way to hold a person's hand who needs that comfort, Finding a way to offer a meal to a person who needs that comfort. Finding a way to offer an encouraging word to a person who needs that comfort. Let's be a people shaped and sent out by this table of grace to offer equity to a world that needs it desperately. May it be so. Amen.